Will Norris is bringing us the word of God this morning. And as Will comes up, he is one of our youth leaders here at Jubilee Church. And before that, served on our Blaze Youth. And uh, he's got um, some things on his heart. So give Will a warm round of applause and we'll get into the word of God. Oh, good. good morning, church. How are we all? Excellent. Let me just quickly get myself set up. Oh, almost there. I can't drink from that one. And this, right. Let's pray. Let's pray. Oh, Father, God, I love you. We love you. We come here for you. It's, it's all about you. Uh, just pray that I'll be your, your mouthpiece this morning. Uh, it'd be less of me, more of you, Lord. Pray that you'd separate any of the wheat from the chaff from my words, Lord, and, and that your alive and active living word would just pierce into hearts this morning. That, that people would capture you, your essence, your love for them uh, as they listen this morning. So, yeah, I'm, I'm Will. Um, part of the uh, Nook to 18s team, and um, yeah, really pleased to be continuing our series on the book of Nehemiah. We haven't looked at it for a couple of weeks, so hopefully you haven't forgotten too much uh, about the story. Um, but what I do want to say is, when we first dived into it, uh, Matt opened it up for us, he gave us an incredible whistle-stop tour um, from the Old Testament, from Adam, all the way through to Nehemiah in its historical context and justice, passing the baton of God's promises, God's love. So if you haven't seen it, I really recommend going back to watch it just to, just to refresh yourselves. So uh, if you wouldn't mind just getting my passage up on the screen, guys. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, Nehemiah chapter 2, we're in now, uh, verses 1 to 3. I'm reading from the New King James Version. So, as it reads... And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. And said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, uh, father's gates, uh, sorry, father's tombs lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. So the title of uh, the preach this morning is Radical Faith. And we're going to start off by looking at the radical faith that Nehemiah demonstrates uh, through his time within the royal palace. And then we're going to be looking at what it looks like in our lives. So the first thing I want to pull out of this is, is timing. So we read uh, in the first chapter a while back, it's, uh, it's set in the month of Kislev, Chislev. And we read here, we're now in Nisan. Now historians think there's about a three to four uh, month gap between, between them. And so we see that it's a long time to process this news where, again, just as a reminder in, in chapter one, 
We have Nehemiah's friends come and tell him the waste uh, and how much of a dire state his, 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 his home, home place is. So he doesn't carry out this knee-jerk reaction to hearing this really upsetting report. He instead prayed, he fasted, and he waited. And during this time, we might ask ourselves a couple of questions, like what was happening during this period? Was he wrestling with God? I think that's quite likely. Was God helping Nehemiah to build up the courage to act? And potentially God was softening a heart that had become accustomed to the pleasures of palace living. Now what this does indicate for us is our first insight into Nehemiah's radical faith. It requires waiting on God and trusting in his timing. The second thing, position. Nehemiah was a cupbearer and this would identify him as a confidant to the king a trustworthy member within the royal circle. He would have been living a privileged life, especially in comparison to many of his friends and family. Yet there was always a risk of poisoning and ultimately death. I remember my mum often saying to me, God's got you right where he wants you. But this isn't particularly helpful at the time when I'm desperate to get out of that situation. But ultimately, if you are seeking his will, there's no limit to the imagination in what he can, how he can use you in your current setting. Just as God took the likes of David and Moses, he brought them from humble beginnings all the way to positions of power and influence. Nehemiah too finds himself in that position of influence too. But again, like David, like Moses, who had their own numerous trials and challenges and concerns, he too shares with them in his constant awareness that each day might come with that possibility of poisoning. But here's our second insight into Nehemiah's radical faith. It requires trusting in God that he's got you and can use you right where you are. And the third insight from from this passage, his appearance, Nehemiah's appearance, was intentional since he kept his sadness between only himself and God a whole three or so months. And this was without letting his outward appearance portray any different. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I could wear my heart on my sleeve. And I know a few others can in my family too. But Nehemiah didn't. He, he kept it to himself, but what he didn't do was suppress his emotions to a point where he was wallowing in them, but instead he continually brought them before God. And, and on a slightly separate note, this isn't to encourage mask wearing, wearing a mask to hide our emotions, nor is it encouraging us to wear our heart on our sleeve, like I've said. So our Christian walk is often a balance, trying not to veer too far to the left or too far to the right, but seeking to operate right down the middle, being sensitive to each and every situation. Wisdom guided, godly wisdom guided Nehemiah to avoid specific mention of Jerusalem. Instead, he refers to it as the place of his father's tombs, which does make sense given the pain in the backside that the nation of Israel have been to not just God, but countless other empires um, throughout the history. Now, 
there's a, a fantastic book. Uh, I didn't bring it with me to show it, but it's called Excellence in Leadership. It's a tiny little book by a guy called John White. And he's drawing out these godly principles uh, that Nehemiah displays throughout his life. And I'm just going to read an extra f- extract from that now. The first eight verses of Nehemiah 2 seem to support the idea that God had been speaking to Nehemiah and urging him to request that the king send him to Jerusalem. Nehemiah apparently chooses to make his request when the king has few distractions, the queen is present, and Persian queens were almost never present on public occasions. Nehemiah is thus approaching the king in an intimate domestic situation when he is likely to be more accessible. Palace protocol also demanded that the king's servants always look happy in his presence. Gloom was not to cloud the royal happiness or storms disturb the royal peace. And and personally, I would also add that given the countless possibilities of assassination attempts, one might assume that a king might be astutely aware of any micro changes in expressions because they're so alert to what's going on around them, maybe paranoid. So therefore, going back to the extract... If Nehemiah, unhappy but smiling from four months, one day allows his face to slip, I conclude that he does so deliberately. And if he does so deliberately, I also conclude that he has prayerfully decided that a sad face will be the best way of introducing his request to the king. He was right. So, our third insight into Nehemiah's radical faith. It requires godly wisdom. How do I get godly wisdom? I hear you ask. James tells us that if any of you lack wisdom, any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That's first, uh, 1 James 5 to 6. So as we dive further into understanding this concept of radical faith, having looked at the example that Nehemiah has set, it's essential that we understand the concept of faith itself. So if you could just get the passage from Hebrews up for me, please. Hebrews 11, verse 1 to 6. So it reads as follows. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. By faith, Abel brought uh, brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he is commended as one who pleased God. Wouldn't you love that as said about you? One who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. One of the words in this passage that stood out for me is confidence. For Nehemiah, he demonstrates this through his hope that God will give him a successful audience before the king. Without faith or belief in God, 
How could Nehemiah expect God's plans and will to line up with his own? So that's the why do we need it and, the, and, and what it is. Now we're going to look at, well, where and how do I get it? So next slide that should come up is a passage from Ephesians, Ephesians 2 verse 8. I think I've heard it read this morning already. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, but is a gift of God. And the, the next passage from Romans, please. Romans, 10, chapter, uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. Faith is a gift from God with nothing, nothing to do on our part except just to receive it and study God's word to strengthen our faith. So, working in the building industry, I'm surrounded by illustrations. Every job seems to come with a metaphor for Christian living, which isn't surprising why Jesus was a carpenter or a builder. Um, Whether it's building blocks, laying good foundations. And as I was thinking about this talk, and I wanted to bring an illustration that try and kind of capture the essence of this radical faith. The Holy Spirit, I feel, spoke to me when I was making mortar. So anyone out there, I know we've got a few builders in here. Um, give me a little bit of grace because I've only been doing the job for like six months. Um, and there's so many different ways of doing this. But what we're going to do is we're going to start off by making a, a, what's called a dry mix. I'll mix the sand and the cement together and then we'll add the water in second. And each of these components represent something. First of all, we've got the sand. And this is the largest quantity of material that's used in the process usually. Work off maybe a four-in-one mix, so four spoons of sand and one spoon of cement. Usually it's a little bit bigger than a tray. (laughs) And maybe you'd use a concrete mixer, which would completely ruin this illustration. So, Let's put this in. So we've got our sand. One, two, three, four. So this is your life. As I say, the biggest component. And secondly, we've got the cement. Now, if you're doing this in a wheelbarrow with a shovel, it can be quite a tedious, arduous, difficult task. You'll you'll have, I don't know if you'll be able to see that from there. It's not a big lump as I'm used to, but big lumps in there. And those lumps, they're going to represent, I suppose, the trials, the challenges that we come across in our, in our Christian walk. Uh, so the sand, that's our, our life. The cement, this is going to be our faith, okay? So we're mixing that in as we're following God's word, because following his word is an act of faith, trying to live, finding out what pleases him as an act of faith, and one that is sometimes hard, as I said. So we, we get through those clumps of sand, but more may be come up, more that we've missed, and they're going to sometimes try and discourage you away, discourage you away from using your faith, acting on your faith, spending time with God. But we're not finished because we've got another substance, and this is the water. Anyone guess what the water might represent? Ah, I thought you might. It could do in your illustration, but not in mine. <laughs> so this is going to represent the evidence of your faith, otherwise known as works. 
So there's two really key components to understand when it comes to, to, to yeah, understanding uh, works. Uh, going back to James, chapter 2, verse 17 tells us that faith without works is dead. And this is also supported by 1 Thessalonians, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, which says, We remember our, before our God and Father that your work produced by faith your labour prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Yet, Paul does make it crystal clear in his letter to the Ephesians, and we've read it already, that it is by grace we have been saved, by faith, not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by work, no one can boast. Okay? So, work is the... um, Salvation is the precedent, So receiving that faith and good works are the consequence. We receive our faith, which encourages us to do the work. We don't do the work to get our salvation. That is so vital to understand. So reflecting back on the life of Nehemiah, we see that he didn't only pray, as important as prayer is, he also acted. His intentional planning and later requests were the outworking of his radical faith, showing those around him, his family, his friends, and and us, the reader, his trust in God, having his hand of guidance over the decisions that he was making. And finally, there is one more aspect involved with this illustration that we don't see. As you're, as you're mixing it together, it's quite a dry mix, um, the reaction brings it all together is called hydration. Hydration, for me in this illustration, is the Holy Spirit because he brings everything together to conclude it in this solid state, ideal for a foundation, because without him, none of this is possible. There is no solid foundation. None of this is sustainable. So, applying this to our lives, Nehemiah's life from the outset displays a life totally sold out for God. He starts his journey with prayer and makes this a continual ingredient while stepping out and putting to task the action he has been stirred to take. Nehemiah just demonstrated his faith by trusting in God's timing. We've mentioned that already. Do you feel you're waiting for God through numerous prayers? If you haven't already, maybe you need to start accompanying your prayer with action, like Nehemiah. As we commit our plans to God, we can trust him that he will make our paths straight. Proverbs 3.6. Nehemiah demonstrated his faith by trusting where God positioned him. Are you stuck in a rut at work, in your relationships, your families? Have you considered maybe in your workplace that there might be colleagues around you that God could use you to show his love? Your family that don't yet know Jesus that God could use you to show his love to? If you submit to God's will, You are right where he wants you. Nehemiah demonstrated his radical faith by acknowledging his access and utilising his access to godly wisdom. I, I, I said earlier, James told us that if we need wisdom, we only have to ask for it. But he does later tell us that we don't have because we don't ask. Has God become a last resort? Can we today turn to him first for all our needs and even commit our wants to him too, 
remembering that he cares about the big and the small things, which we were so lovely reminded in our prayer meeting earlier, actually. I, uh, I can't say that without saying, well, we had a toothache healed, and I just, wonderful to share that. He cares about the big things, and he cares about the small things. So having looked at examples of radical faith within his life and acknowledging that we're not all cupbearers to a king, let's now explore how it might look in our life today, since for everyone, radical faith can look radically different. For the Smith sisters in 1949, it was committing to regular daily prayer, holding on to a specific promise within God's word that reads, I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground found in Isaiah. They prayed for revival and saw revival within the remote Hebrides island off Scotland. Location doesn't disqualify you from having radical faith. They were aged 84 and 82 years old. Age doesn't disqualify you from having radical faith. One was blind and the other one was bent over with arthritis. Disabilities don't disqualify you from having radical faith. In young Flory Evans' case, it was raising her voice to the congregation of her church and declaring with a heartfelt cry that she loved Jesus Christ with all her heart. Her stirring to do so led the church into their own convictions and repentance, and shortly after followed the Welsh revival. She made a public confession of her faith in 1904 on the western coast of Wales. Location doesn't disqualify you from having radical faith. She was aged 19 years old. Age doesn't disqualify you from having radical faith. She had only given her life to Jesus a week earlier. Time as a Christian doesn't disqualify you from having radical faith. As Dan and uh, as I mentioned in with Dan my, my notes, um, and, and during that time, he mentioned something that really stuck with me. Radical faith sets the alarm when others sleep in. And having looked at the detail, uh, it looked in detail at the life of Nehemiah and, and briefly the Smith sisters and Flory. On the surface, anyone would have been able to do what they did. But God chose them. He had set the task aside for them just as he has a specific task for all of you, even you on the screen at home. So wake up, sleepers, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. There is an element of radical faith that is a daily action. And in actual fact, it is more of an internal or behind-closed-doors action set in the landscape of our hearts and our minds. This might look like saying, no to sexual immorality, taking thoughts captive of lust or coveting, giving to the poor or those in need, and not through guilt that leads to shame, but through cheer that leads to joy. Maybe it's spending time alone with, with God. You may need to book this in, perhaps take yourself away from your usual setting for an hour, maybe even a day, if not longer. It might look like continually claiming the promises of God and asking him expectantly, even when your circumstances say otherwise and you feel your prayers are falling on deaf ears. Deaf ears. My final word on radical faith 
looks at that shown by our Lord Jesus. Now, as Christians, we believe the Bible is a unified story that leads to him. And as such, we will often see the Old Testament characters either be a forerunner or an example of character that points to Jesus. Nehemiah is one such person. And he follows this pattern, and, and it's demonstrated through his position as a cupbearer. Like, uh, like Nehemiah, Jesus was also a cupbearer. His cup, however, was poisoned. Poisoned by the sin of the world, which ultimately led to his death. He drank this cup without complaint. In fact, it was for the joy set before him, you and I... We are his joy that he endured this cross and died the death that we are, were, were due. As those that look back on this side of the cross, we see the radical faith Jesus demonstrates towards his father through his obedience and through his resurrection. In his resurrection, he offers new life to all those who would have faith in him and receive this gift. The great civil activist Martin Luther King said, faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. Band, would you come up as I finish in prayer? Yeah, Father God, I thank you for the gift of faith. I thank you for the gift of faith, Lord. I thank you for your abundance, for your generosity and your love towards us. It is not us that instigated it, Lord. It's, it's you. It's all about you. So, Lord, I, I pray now for those that want to see radical faith for signs and wonders. I pray your blessing on that. I pray for those that want the radical faith to see healing break out, even if they've been praying it all their life. I pray that you would give radical faith to start praying, picking up old prayers that maybe were put down and to pick up new prayers as well. I pray for radical faith to see circumstances changed, for radical faith to see salvation where it looks like people are just not going to be broken through. Yeah, Lord, we, we, saw, we spoke about earlier the, the faith that the friends showed to break through that roof just knowing that if it could be with you, be near you, that you have the power to heal. So Father, we pray for, for faith to see that healing, Lord. See circumstances changed. And I also pray, Lord, that you would help anyone that doesn't yet know you receive that gift. We don't have to come with, with, with stuff in our hands, Lord. We come with empty hands and you fill us up through your riches, through your treasures. So we glorify your name. We say, Lord, will the power, wealth, wisdom, strength, honour, glory and praise, it all belongs to you. So guys, if any of that is relevant to you, any of those points that we prayed through, please speak to someone you're here with today that you know, you love, you trust. If you're new and you don't know anyone, please find me and I would love to pray for you. Thank you. Hey, my name's Dan Baptist and I'm lead pastor here at Jubilee Community Church. 
We really hope that something from this morning's word has blessed you and reached you. And if you'd like to talk about anything you've heard or just be able to talk about maybe faith or get some prayer, then please get in contact. You can email us, give us a call at the centre and one of the team's going to get back to you. We'd love to do this, especially if you're just thinking about what it is to become a Christian. You want to sit down and really talk that through with anyone. We also run regularly on a Sunday some joining the church courses. And if you want to know more about Jubilee Community Church and what it is to belong here, then you can just uh, find out online when the next one of those is going on and you can attend, have a meal, sit down, talk about it. We also have some amazing midweek group life uh, where it's a great opportunity to dig further into your faith. Again, you can find out that on our website too. Anyway, just wanted to say hi and uh, bless you and we'll catch up soon.